0: Matthew 6 is where we'll be today. If you want to turn to that, Matthew 6, 1 through 8 and 16 through 18. Uh, We're not going to have time to read through all of that, um, but you'll want to have that handy. If you need Bibles, we have young men here who are guest services helpers who can... uh, Get you set up with a Bible. Uh, just slip up your hand, and uh, they'll get you one. Matthew six one through eight and sixteen through. 18 is where it will be. Um, if you need a study guide for the series, this is week one of three in a new series. Uh, they also have those available. Study guides are what we use for uh, our, our sermon-based life groups. Uh, but if you're not in a life group, uh, you want to follow along and do some further study for yourself. Uh, think about how to apply what we've talked about on Sunday morning. Uh, that's also in the study guide there for you uh, as well. So we'll get to Matthew 6 in just a second. Um, a couple quick changes. Did Tommy talk about life group? Okay, two quick changes to tell you about in life group in our structure um, that will continue to help us become a church um, that is uh, amazingly good at facilitating meaningful relationships in those life groups. The two changes are this. Number one, we have a new self-select method of sorts, um, and this is live on FCCGreenville.info. It's a self-select method of getting into a group. Um, you can also go to the hub and we have iPads there, uh, multiple iPads now that are available in the hub. You can go in and select based on needs and availability. Here's... (laughs) the problem. Uh, we have way more um, need for open groups and red dots on that page than we currently can make happen. Uh, not just because we have a new system and structure, but because uh, we literally now today have uh, a need for about five or six more groups um, because we have four dozen plus people who have already said, I want to be in a life group, but we have about one dozen spaces. I want some of y'all who have been around for a while to let that sink in and think about that for a second. This is a new place for us as a congregation. And I just want to be straight with you. We must, must learn to facilitate meaningful personal relationship and connection in life groups. We currently have four plus dozen people who have communicated in some form or fashion, I want to be in a life group. And we have barely more than one dozen open spaces for those four dozen people. Um, so we've made another important change that will help us uh, make some of more life groups happen. The second change is that we have a new leadership strategy of hosts and apprentices and leaders. I'm not going to go into all the detail about that, um, but that will help us uh, make those groups happen faster and, and more easily. Um, you may not want to lead a group, but you're like, hey, I can host a group every week or maybe even every other week hey, we'd like to use your home, we'd like for you to be a host, someone else will come and lead that at your house, Um, even if it's every other week. So we're going to go with hosts, apprentices, and leaders. If you have any interest in that, go to .info, talk to somebody in the hub, talk to Jason McCoy or Chris Oaks. If you know who those guys are, uh, they can help you out. Um, Also, um, if if you're in a group currently um, and you love that group, you've been in that group for a while, but you sense... I want to help lead another group. We'd love to have you lead another group. It's okay to leave your current group to go start another group. Uh, In fact, we super badly need a few of you all to do that. Just shooting straight with where we are as a congregation. Okay, enough of that. Let's go ahead and pray and jump into Matthew 6. Father in heaven, we're gathered today to name a new to name afresh the truth that You are God, that You are perfect, and that You are holy. That You are beyond our greatest descriptions of You. And so we're here today to submit ourselves to that amazing truth. The amazing truth that uh, though we deserved Your wrath, You sent us Jesus and extended to us grace. And gave us untold riches in Jesus we would never otherwise know. And so we ask that You would set our minds and hearts uh, straight on that truth again today so that we would leave this place changed with a greater understanding of who You've called us to be and what You've created us to do. We ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus for your glory. Amen. So I've mentioned this a few times uh, here and there over the last few years. Um, I have struggled in my life quite a bit uh, with people pleasing, uh, with being a people pleaser and seeking the approval uh, of others um, too much. Um, got any other fellow people pleasers out there? <laughs> a few of y'all are like, loud and proud, y'all. Um, Although nobody actually wants to raise their hands in those moments. You know when the pastor says, "Ah." People pleasers are like, Oh, he asked me to raise my hand. Should I raise my hand? He obviously wants me to raise my hand. She raised her hand. I should raise my hand. I'm raising my hand. (laughs) It's the internal neuroses of people pleasers. Did he just say jump? Just kidding. So I've got a pastor friend. Uh, who is a recovering people pleaser, um, and, I, and I've got it bad and have struggled with that some, but this dude, this dude has it really bad. And uh, this week we were talking about this dynamic of being a people pleaser and seeking the approval of others as a pastor, and we got into some conversation about it. And uh, and, and so, of course, he asked me not to mention him by name. Um, so I want to be careful not to do that, but I will do this. There he is. <laughs> Didn't say his name. Um, in case you want to know more about uh, Smiley Paul, we call him Smiley Paul. He is uh, a great dude. He's, he's super fun to be around. Um, he's a good friend. Uh, we meet uh, weekly. Um, Paul and I have been friends in ministry for a number of years. Um, and you can take that down. That's, that's enough. Of Smiley Paul. Um, but we were talking this week about this dynamic of uh, being people-pleasers as pastors. And uh, <laughs> there were a few years for me early on. Um, there were a few years early on when we were talking uh, about this dynamic of being a people-pleaser where we shared this problem of talking about our sermon right after we have delivered the sermon. And as a people pleaser, there were a few years early on when we would get done from Sunday morning and we'd be in the car and my wife and I'd be going home and I would begin to hound her immediately like, hey, how'd it go? Uh, was it good? Do you think they liked it? Did you like it? Did it make sense? Did the argument that I was making uh, make sense to you and you followed where I was headed and the logic was okay? Do you think people were helped? Were you helped? Do you think they liked me? Do you like me? I mean, it was... <laughs> It was like this sort of rabid dog experience of like, tell me you love me. Um, And if you know my wife, she was probably like, whoa, chill out, Fido. Um, Here's a biscuit. So I, I mentioned that. By the way, incidentally, if I ever ask you about how the sermon went, just say amazing, Scott. It was amazing. I affirm you. (laughs) here's a biscuit No, Uh, here's why I tell you this seriously someone listening to that that interaction between my wife and me that sort of neurotic post sermon uh, questioning there would not be crazy to ask Scott is this preaching thing about pleasing God and being faithful to him and faithful to the calling to feed the flock? Or is this really about pleasing you? (laughs) Dang. Good question, huh? Good question. Here's the thing. Same exact question about who you are pleasing applies to all of us in all contexts of our lives with all of the use of our life's resources. You see, most of us grew up being taught that our resources are about pleasing ourselves. We were taught that the good life was found in making good, and, and we can even rationalize it as wise decisions to use our life's resources to please ourselves, to take care of ourselves. And, and, and there's a sense in which, of course, that's not entirely false. God gave us the world to sustain us, to help us flourish, uh, but He gave us uh, the added responsibility with those resources of stewarding those resources to create contexts where goodness can flourish. That's the story of Scripture at the beginning of Genesis. He gave us the added responsibility of saying, take this world... Use it not just for self, but for the flourishing of a God-centered life, where His goodness and glory would be created in those contexts, where those would flourish, where His goodness and glory would flourish. And here's the thing that Jesus says about this. If you don't get that about your life's resources, be forewarned, Jesus says in Matthew 6. Be forewarned because in using your resources for godly purposes, that's where ultimate joy and purpose are found. Be forewarned. If you're not aware of that dynamic of using God's resources for His glory, you will inevitably pervert those resources for self. Let's be honest. Most of us were taught a personal vision of our resources to please ourselves. In fact, get a little get a little years on you as an adult, a little bit of fear in you. You begin to have rationalized reasons to keep those resources tight. Am I preaching? <laughs> and in our quiet, in our cogent moments, we realize that we've been given a false picture of the good life, perverted by our fears. Motivated by self-protection. That abuses what God gave us as resources for His goodness and glory to please ourselves. Jesus says, beware of that in yourself. (laughs) Beware. Watch out. Because that kind of life will miss out. Not only on future reward in eternity, but in the here and now being used for God's purposes. Jump in at verse 1. Chapter 6 of Matthew. We're going to do 6, 1 through 8, and then 16 through 18. We're going to be studying in this series the second two-thirds of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're just going to look at 6 and 7 we're going to talk about this dynamic of the good life. What is the good life? What does that mean for us? We're going to talk today just about being aware of perverting resources for self so that we make sure that we use them in order to be seen by God and for his purposes. It says this, beware, watch out, watch out for this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And here's a key theme, in order to be seen by them. In order to be seen by them. Don't parade your goodness in front of others, Jesus says. Like a people-pleasing weirdo, after he preaches a sermon. He says, why? For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now we're going to simmer on verse 1 for a bit here, because it's the principle from which the rest follows. Jesus says, when you do good when you practice your righteousness, when you do good things, godly things, don't throw a gee, aren't I awesome party. (laughs) Because, Because not only will that be as good as it gets for you, you will also miss out on the reward, not only of eternity, but of pleasing God in the here and now. Because when we use our resources in the here and now, we get to see God extend His kingdom. And you'll miss out on that. You'll miss out on the good life when you refuse to use your life's resources to please God. Now, here in verse 1, we see the main theme that ties the whole passage together. And it's uh, this idea of being seen. And it's in verse 1 explicitly, but in every single verse that follows, in 1 through 8 and 16 to 18, either explicitly or implicitly. Okay? And here's a take-home principle for the note-takers. That, that applies to everything we'll say here. Being seen by people is a temporary praise that fades, but being seen by God is eternal reward that always satisfies. That's a matter of trust, as it turns out. <laughs> the good life is a giving life. Boy, if we bought into that half as much as we claim, the good life is a good and giving life. So, so as be, people who are following Jesus to the cross, we want to trade in praise from men for praise from God. So Jesus says, if that's the case, beware of being seen. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. And he talks about three places where he says, here's the reward you'll get if you're a fake, if you're a hypocrite. Here are the three places, and these are places where the Jews practiced their righteousness as spiritual disciplines in giving and fasting and praying. It says this, keep reading verse 2. So when you give to the needy, when you contribute financially to the needs of others, sound no trumpet before you, Jesus says, as the hypocrites, as the fakes do in the synagogues, in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Literally, Jesus says here that they may be glorified by others. And he says, truly, I say to you, they have (laughs) received their reward. Now. In those verses there, Jesus is speaking somewhat metaphorically, a little bit uh, hyperbolically. Um, Here's what I mean by that. They didn't walk around (laughs) blowing a trumpet uh, as they were giving, (laughs) like, (laughs) I'm giving right now. Um, But at the temple, when it was time to gather for worship, uh, they would blow trumpets, they would sound the horns so the people all over the city could hear, so that those people who could hear it would know it's time to worship. And when they came to worship, that's when the time for giving of alms would happen. Uh, so when the poor heard the trumpet, uh, they would go cha-ching. So the trumpet sound came to function not only as a symbol for worship, but also as sort of a dinner bell to come and get it for some people. So so when that scene happened, as Jesus implies here, guess who's standing nearby? <laughs> Making a show of giving. I guess we just sort of happened to be in close proximity when a poor person comes to receive their help. Jesus says, the fakes, the hypocrites, who abuse what God intended as a means to care for people's needs as an opportunity to puff up self. He says, don't be like that. You know why? Because their smugness in that moment, that time of noticing being noticed, that will be the extent of their reward. Noticing being noticed will be the extent of the reward. So you better enjoy it while it's there. (laughs) But that's not going to last. So he says, don't do that. Beware of that. But, verse 3, When you, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. By the way, verse 3 is just a metaphor. Uh, When we pass the plate in worship, you don't know, like, sit on one hand and like, oh, give me a second. Okay. You don't need to, like, it's just a principle, okay? That would be weird. Don't sit on your hand. Um, It's just a principle of don't call attention to yourself. Okay? don't worry, don't over-worry about being seen. Don't set up the Instagram photo when you're doing the giving. You feel me? Alright, verse 4. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, unseen by men, but seen by the Lord, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Same with your prayer life. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not like be, the, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners to be seen. There's that theme again, that they may be seen by others. They're praying with sort of an open eye to notice those who notice them. He says, truly, I say to you, verse 5, they have received their reward. Noticing being noticed is all the praise and reward they're going to get. He says, but when you pray, verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Again, it's just a metaphor. It doesn't mean you can only pray with the doors closed. Uh, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, when you pray, verse 7, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Uh, meaning this, the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, had these sort of uh, phrases, these incantations or chants uh, that they would say over and over and over again, hoping that if they repeated them enough, uh, that their pagan deities would hear them. So they would use those prayers as a way to sort of coax blessing uh, from their pagan deities. Uh, So he's saying, don't be like them. They think they're going to be heard. They think they're going to be heard because of their empty phrases, their many words. Verse 7, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Same thing with fasting, which is not something we often do. But look at this, verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now, press pause for a second here just to explain in case you're not familiar with fasting. Uh, In basic terms, fasting simply means saying no uh, to food and saying yes to prayer. It doesn't have to be food. It can be anything. It could be Instagram for you. Uh, Fasting is saying no to something on, on which you sort of depend Um, so that you can say yes to prayer, yes to your relationship with God. So it's a reminder that we need God more than food. And this is a practice for the Jews as a reminder of this. And notice it says, when you fast, Jesus speaking, not like... If when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, like the fakes, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Oh, I'm so hungry. Why? Oh, I'm fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Noticing being noticed is all the reward that they'll get when you fast. Second time he says when, not if when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Take a shower, please. That your fasting may not be seen by others. That's a seeing thing again there made explicit. But by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, real and lasting reward comes from pleasing God and not from pleasing men. I know that's simple to understand. But everything we've been taught tells us to live oppositely. The world wants to make you after its mold. Jesus is saying, beware of that. (laughs) Beware of that. Real reward, lasting reward comes from God and not from men. So let me ask you the same question we asked at the beginning. And this applies to any area of our lives, whether it's material resources, whether it's our gifts, our our talents, things we do well, maybe it's our, our workplace, it's our relationships. Is it about pleasing God and being faithful to Him and His calling on your life? Or is this about pleasing you? Again, this applies to everything. When it comes to church, when it comes to worship service, when it comes to your life, your use of resources, your marriage, your family, your parenting, your hobbies, your material goods, your spiritual disciplines, the question remains is it about pleasing God and being faithful to Him and His Lordship? and His calling? Or have you learned to pervert those things for yourself? Because here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. Jesus says, Beware, because lasting joy is only found in being used of God for His glory. When you practice your faith to please God instead of men, Jesus is telling us here. Then you are well on your way to the good life. The godly life of being used by God for His kingdom. And you give in to that. <laughs> That's where you'll find lasting joy and reward. One last question for us to consider here. Can you imagine... What a church living a good life like that. A life that understands that what God's given us is for His purpose and for His glory. In other words, that we are finding joy in being means to the ends of God's glory. And I know that as soon as you say that, people go, I'm just a means to an end. Yes. Yes, you are you're a means to the end of the glory of God and not the glory of you. And when a whole, whole community of people understand that truth, can you imagine what a church that gets the good life looks like? It sees the kingdom expand in ways that go way beyond what we could understand or do by ourselves. If you think just about the the, the talents and the gifts and the abilities and material resources that are in this room alone, if, if this group of people understood what God wanted to make happen, to make Himself known in our community by us living the good life, we would see God use our resources to bring lost sheep to safety. We would see lives changed. We would see marriages renewed, families transformed, and souls reborn from death to life. That's worth giving yourself to. Because that's a witness. A community of believers like that is a witness to the good life that can be found only in Jesus Christ, friends. Let's pray. Father, correct us as we submit ourselves to your truth. We ask that you would continue to teach us to live in ways that mirror your life given to us in Jesus. Teach us, Lord, with each new day as we give ourselves to You what a life that reflects Your goodness and glory looks like. So that You would achieve Your purposes in us. And that we would know lasting joy and satisfaction and ultimate reward. We ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen.